Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Greetings and welcome to this week's Realty Talk show, your trusted voice for all things property. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance. And you're in for another real treat on this week's show. Contrarian and leading property analyst Simon Presley from Propertyology sets the scene with a deep dive on what's next for Australian property across the country following the lockdown legacy and regional relocation. And you're going to be surprised with his findings. Scott McFarlane from McGain's Real Estate then joins us to share his tips on how to buy in a hot market. And to continue this theme, I close out the show with the first in our special series on the art of buying at auctions and how to avoid auction shocks, given the large number of properties being sold under the hammer at the moment. As usual, we've got a lot to unpack, so let's get the show underway. Hi and welcome. Now, with national property markets currently booming at a faster rate than we've seen since 1989, according to recent CoreLogic figures. The most common question on everyone's lips is how long is this boom going to last? And the obvious follow-on from this is to understand what macro factors are going to influence property in the future. So to help answer these vexing questions, we're joined by the Warren Buffett of Property in Australia, a Realty Talk regular and Australia's premier property market analyst, Simon Presley, the head of research at Propertyology. Welcome back to the show, Simon. Oh, good on you, Bushy. Geez, that's a big rap, mate. The Warren Buffett of property. Thank you very much. Well, it's uh, well earned, mate. Uh, the, the amount of analysis and research and time that you spend reflecting on and investigating and diving into property is absolutely second to none. So uh, very appropriate term, mate. But uh, getting into the subject, uh, you were actually one of the very few contrarians who correctly predicted the current boom. So how long do you think it's going to last and why? Yeah, good question. Well, uh, now, as with every year, Bushy, uh, no two property markets are, are ever the same. I um, that This boom actually started, for those who can't recall, October 2019. So it was about six months before COVID. COVID just put things on pause while we we're in national lockdown there for a few months. But I think we'll see uh, signs um, maybe as soon as six months. Um, so in the first half of the 2022 calendar year, um, that some locations are at the end of their growth cycle. That doesn't necessarily mean that they'll see property prices decline, although that's a possibility. But I, I think we're going to see large parts of Australia bushy that uh, their growth cycle might run sort of four to five years and could easily see 100% capital growth over that um, four to five year period of time. Yeah, okay. That's a pretty strong result. So uh, as always, and you've, as you've just said, uh, there is no one property market. So how is it going to vary geographically and or by property type? Yeah, our property type first. Um, I mean, there's a big bunch of evidence, um, a good 10 years of official data before COVID arrived showing that uh, apartment values significantly lagged uh, whatever a, an individual detached house did in a, in a um, typical location. And look, all COVID's done is, to be frank, completely stuffed um, any potential that apartments have. That doesn't mean that um, it's, it, it's impossible for a, an apartment to see price growth, but relative to whatever the, the detached house in that same location over that same period of time, that gap is going to get wider and wider and wider. Uh, COVID, if, if, if nothing else, has, got, has given people 
a much greater appreciation for space. And you certainly don't get that uh, in apartments. But um, geographically, uh, now and always, the two biggest influences on a property market are local economic conditions and local volumes of housing supply. So that, those two key metrics, uh, not, that, not that I'm saying they're the only metrics, um, but they're, very, they're the two most important ones and they will always be very different from one city to the next. So uh, looking at that then, what's your summary list of key macro influences that you believe are gonna drive property in the future? Yeah, there's probably a good eight to 10, Bushy. Um, if you wanna bring a graphic up uh, titled population growth, I'll, I'll talk, talk to that uh, one shortly. But the, but the first key macro factor I've got is rental supply. E easily it is the most significant thing, the most important thing affecting Australian real estate now and has been for some years. To put some, uh, I guess, perspective around that, the number of um, uh, vacant dwellings are advertised for rent in just Sydney and Melbourne combined is now 42,000. The entire rest of Australia, so if we bundle up the six capital cities plus our 200 regions, there's only 16,000 dwellings advertised for rent. 16,000 compared to 42. That should put wow. things around perspective. And that problem is going to get worse for it will get better. The second macro factor, if we've got that graphic total population growth, is what I call the, uh, the lockdown legacy. I think uh, I was looking at some statistics the other day. Melbourne has been in lockdown for 262 days out of 560, sadly. Tell me about Sydney's it. <laughs> and Sydney's about 150. Now, um, we said from, from, from day dot, I guess, because they're our two most congested cities, that they were always going to be the most vulnerable. They haven't seen any price declines, but that doesn't mean that their outlook is necessarily a good one. Um, both those two big cities in the first 18 months of COVID, Bushy, have seen a net loss of about 50,000 people from internal migration. People, people are fleeing those locations. Understandably. Um, and I think in the coming six, 12 months, we're, we're going to get a greater understanding of how that's affected job loss. Um, and at the same time, uh, both their state governments have stimulated construction. So there's going to be a, a period of record supply at, a, at, at, a at the same time when it might be their worst economic performance for, um, for many, many years and people leaving. So as you can see from this graphic here, um, and the next macro factor, um, regional um, relocation. In the first, this looks at population uh, growth in the first 12 months of COVID. So to the end of March, 2021, our combined eight capital cities had a population decline of 17,000 people combined. Yep. Our regions, well, you know, 200 of them combined had a population growth of 51,000. Interesting, very significant shift in their uh, demographic uh, exodus to lifestyle, Simon. Yeah, definitely. Um, which brings us to our next macro factor, the regional relocation. It's always been there, it just hasn't been spoken about you know, much until, until the germ hit our shores. But as the green line shows in this graphic, um, Australia's regional lifestyles, that green line is above the horizontal line for zero for as far back as the ABS data takes us, which is 20 years. So what that means is um, every single year for the last 20 years, more people have left our capital cities to somewhere in regional Australia than going the other way around. That green line has always been above horizontal, but it started to you know, significantly accelerate before COVID arrived and, and since COVID arrived, it is going through the roof. And I, I expect that trend to continue even with vaccines um, you know, in place. But the other two lines, the dark blue is Melbourne and the light blue is Sydney. 
Sydney has always lost uh, people each year to internal migration, but that rate of loss has accelerated. And Melbourne has is, is, is largely been a, a neutral position, you know, just slightly above or slightly below that horizontal line each and every year until COVID arrived. And Melbourne's lost 36,000 people in the first, first 12 months of COVID officially. My best guess is it's about 50,000 people to today. A few other macro factors, uh, government debts and how, the, uh, particularly state governments more than federal and how, how they manage that. Uh, quite rightly, they uh, stimulated our economies uh, to, as part of the economic recovery story. But, you know, I think that as vaccine rates um, stabilise, I think we will see at different times new taxes introduced. Um, the ability to expand the public sector workforce will be challenged. The ability to fund infrastructure investment will be challenged and those things affect local economic conditions that we were talking about earlier so you know the states that have the healthiest balance sheets um you know tick a very important box for how their respective property markets perform yeah uh, interest rates people might have forgotten that uh the rba cash rates actually declined by 1.4 percent um if we compare what it is today to just just three years ago so someone who's got a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage each and every year, they've got $7,000 extra money in their pocket without even getting a pay rise. And the RBA continually double down and say, we're, we're not you know, uh, likely to touch interest rates until 2024. But whilst they say that, they can always change their mind. And um, I've always had a keen interest in economics because it's so important for property markets. Yep. I, I see a lot of pressure building up in wages. Um, so I, you know, if things continue at this rate, I think we're gonna hear the word inflation a lot in 2022 um, and when that's here you know month after month after month that's when the RBA tend to start to think about raising rates not that we should be worried about that though housing supply we have stimulated our construction sector which is a good thing to do I think in general for construction jobs and and, and other jobs that spin off that but at the end of the day um, when you stimulate construction um, you are ramping up supply at a time when Australia's population growth over the last 12 months is the lowest it has been for 100 years. So there's going to be some stress points, uh, some not so nice stress points in some locations with a potential oversupply um, that we might see signs of the middle of the next year. China is something uh, that, that's made us uh, very wary of Western Australia markets. Those markets are strong at the moment as they are all around Australia. Um, but if China uh, suddenly decided they didn't want as much of Western Australia's commodities, given it has a very unhealthy reliance on China, that would cause some very quick damage um, to the economy over in WA. I was, uh, I was reading your stats on that, Simon. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it was over 80% of uh, exports to China revolve around iron ore and, and WA, and 50% of exports in WA are, are all heading in China across the board. Is that right? Yeah, it's a, it's a horrifying statistic. So it's it's good as long as that one, think of it as a business. Think of, you know, the state of Western Australia as a business and any business that's got 50% of its revenue coming from one customer, it can have some profitable years. But if you ever lost that one customer, you're in, excuse the French, but you're in the shit. Um, and that's why Western, you know, first property market, you know, um, actually lost value over an entire decade. So um, we don't wish that um, on any market, um, but it's always going to be a risk in Western Australia. Yeah. Uh, the international border. Um, it was already, you know, just this last couple of weeks, hasn't it? You know, we're, we're, we're starting to open that up. That's really important for property markets, particularly at the moment for labour supply. There are lots of sectors in this country that have an enormous volume of jobs, um, record volumes of jobs, but no one 
physically available to fill those positions. And much of those jobs are actually out of our capital cities. We know that migration policy, um, the Australian uh, Immigration Department is, is typically, um, I guess, sent the, the immigrants to locations throughout Australia that need the jobs the most. Now, in the yeah. last five or six years, there was a lot of those jobs that were needed in Sydney and Melbourne. They're needed in, in a lot more places at the moment, more so than Sydney or, or Melbourne. So whilst we can expect to see some overseas migration adding to our population numbers next year, I think it would be foolish to expect that um, the traditional 70 or 80% of those overseas migrants will come to Sydney or Melbourne. It would make no sense if they did that. Yep. Uh, tax reform is something to keep an eye on at a state government level. New South Wales are you know, experimenting with stamp duty and you know, time will tell whether other, other states do that. And the last thing, uh, credit policy. Um, unfortunately, uh, APRA did not keep their powder dry and within the, in the last few weeks have tightened credit policy. It's not really going to have much of an impact initially, but to me, uh, it's a sign of intent that they haven't learnt from their past errors, in my opinion. Totally agree. And uh, I mean, the first round of changes is really going to have an impact on the major banks because they come under the, the need to lift their servicing rate by half percent from two and a half to three uh, percent. Second tier lenders uh, don't come under the same scrutiny, but there's certainly a, a move across the board to start playing with other things other than servicing capacity. And that includes things like a, a revisit of the living expenses exercise we're seeing and a much bigger emphasis on debt to income ratio, unfortunately. So uh, there's certainly some movement in the station there, Simon. Yeah, and I think we'll hear we'll hear the word uh, for the wrong reasons, again, in my opinion. Um, we'll hear the word APRA a lot throughout the 2022 calendar year, um, but it will be whatever, whatever it will be. There will still be many markets throughout Australia that will perform um, well into the double-digit growth rates next year. Brilliant. So if we had a lot covered there, if we sort of summarise that in terms of the major influences and why uh, moving forward, what are they? Yeah. So if we can bring up um, th this last graphic I've got tied at Australian housing supply and three three lines here that I'll, I'll step you through, which in my opinion, uh, summarise some of the key things. So rental supply. Um, you know, so to put some perspective around this, this time four years ago, Bushy, Australia had 300 so this is our um, resale supply we had so a resale supply for those who aren't familiar with that term is an existing dwelling that the owner has decided to list for sale yep. so you know, in september 2017 there were 335 dwellings listed for sale today there are only 214 dwellings listed for sale that's a significant reduction in just four years yep. but during those four years, we've added 1.2 million to, to our national population. This is the primary reason we've got such intense pressure um, under property markets all over Australia. And APRA can do what they want, but they are not going to add um, to that resale supply. If anything, they're going to discourage someone who might have otherwise wanted to list their property to sale because most most times it's an owner occupier. And before they list where they're living, oh, so before they move to that that next home, they've got to sell the existing one. If APRA um, plays around with their level of confidence, they're more likely to stay put. Rental supply. Oh, sorry, I'll just go um that graphic there. The green line there is the yep. resale supply. Yeah. So you can see there's been a big cliff which started well before COVID arrived and, and, and it's just uh, dipped um, sharper since COVID. The so other two lines there is rental supply. We've got um, uh, the purple line there is looking at everything other than Sydney and Melbourne. 
the blue line is Sydney and Melbourne together. So you can, the, the, both our big cities have a record high volume of um, rental accommodation advertised for rent at the moment. But that purple line is every other location in Australia. And you can see a, a few years before COVID arrived, that started to dip sharply. Mm. And the number one cause of that is the text on this chart was APRA. Yep. Which is why I said earlier, you know, hopefully they had learnt from their past decisions, but clearly have, they haven't. You tighten up credit supply um, and some of those borrowers are, are investors. And if investors can't get the loan, then they won't buy the property. If they don't buy the property, they're not adding a property to the rental supply market. And we need lots and lots of properties added to the rental pool. So APRA has made that harder, not easier. Uh, we have in this entire country, only 59,000 dwellings advertised for rent. And about three quarters of those are in, in, in our two biggest cities. Four years ago, we had 73,000 properties advertised for rent. So we've got a lot less properties advertised for rent. And again, we've got 1.2 more, 1.2 million more people here. Yeah, well, it's pretty obvious where that's going to go. Uh, so the, uh, the APRA are playing with one area and it's going to have some uh, unforeseen consequences as a, con as a result of that. So very interesting, mate. It's been extremely enlightening. Uh, I want to thank you for sharing those timely insights with us, uh, Simon, and, and thanks again for your time on the show today. My pleasure. Boom times next year again, folks. Hold on to your hats. So it's uh, absolutely clear that there's still plenty of property growth ammunition in the barrel, but the rising tide's not going to float all ships. So to ensure that you're securing outperforming properties across the nation in the years to come, reach out to Simon and his buyer's agents team at Propertyology. You're watching Realty Talk, your trusted voice for all things property. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Greetings and welcome. Now, despite many parts of the country remaining in some level of lockdown, the housing boom continues to roll on, with national home values rising another 1.5% last month. And housing prices have been rising almost 11 times faster than wages growth over the last year. And it's likely that the ongoing shortage of properties available to purchase is actually central to the upwards pressure on housing values. The latest CoreLogic data takes Australian housing values 15.8% higher over the first eight months of the year and 18.4% above levels a year ago. In dollar terms, the annual increase in national dwelling values equates to approximately $103,400, which equates to $1,900 a week increase. That's incredible. So with so much continued demand and uh, limited supply of properties for sale, how can you outbuy the competition in such a hot market? Well, to give you some great tips on how to do this, we're joined by leading selling agent, Scott McFarlane from McGain Real Estate in Adelaide. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Thanks for having me, Bushy. It's always great to talk to you. Likewise, mate. Now, uh, we're in a uh, sort of a real window of opportunity here uh, what's your read on why there are so many buyers for so many so few properties currently well i feel that 
we talk about um, COVID and, you know, honestly, most people thought at the start of COVID that it was going to have a pretty negative effect on most of the economy right across Australia. And, you know, I feel that is true for some businesses and, you know, my heart goes out to all those people that have been in lockdown and, you know, their own face-to-face businesses that have been really restricted in what they can do. But I feel like there's been a, a lot of Australians that own businesses that have been able to almost pivot their businesses to make their businesses stronger today than that, what they were at the start of COVID. And I feel like the amount of money in the system, in the economy at the moment, is quite high. And then when you look at that coupled with interest rates and the fact that money is more affordable than it's ever been before, it is I mean the resources that a lot of people have got to invest has been a lot higher and therefore competition, you know, is 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 really, really rife out there. And you know, there's lots of people trying to buy, they want to invest, they can't spend their money overseas or on holidays or, you know, all those sorts of things. Even you look at used car market at the moment it's almost impossible to buy one that you want because people have got this access to money that they've never had before. Yeah, it's a very good read, mate. So uh, looking at how things are happening on the ground, what, what mistakes do you see buyers making when they're actually trying to put in offers on property in a moment? Well, I think there's a couple of mistakes that buyers are typically making. Like ultimately, there's a lot of competition on the ground. So if you're just making yourself another number to the competition, all you're doing is aiding that property to create competition and sell at a higher price. I think you need to be really honest with yourself about whether the property that you're actually going for, if you're just throwing an offer in to be a part of the mix, then you're probably doing yourself a disservice. You really need to be pointing in to go, is this the one? And you've got to go back to the basics. You've got to work out, is this the location? Is this the land size? Is this the detail, everything that you wanted in property, is this actually the one? I see a lot of people just throwing offers willy-nilly on every single property that comes on the market because we've just got to secure something. And all you're doing is adding to the competition and allowing that agent, even though I am one, to have competition to push the price up for one that you weren't really wanting to buy in the first place. So I think you've got to have a really set list of requirements and criteria that you want and if it's not within those criteria, then leave it alone. Yeah. If it is within those criteria, then you've got to make a decision to step up because that is the one you want to buy. There's a reason why you've got the criteria. There's a reason why you want that type of property and you've got to be true to yourself and actually you know, make sure you've got a good selection criteria and actually know what you want. Those people that are sitting out there going, oh, we just want to buy a property and we don't really know what it is or what it is, then they're kind of just sitting on the sidelines and that's where you'll be forever and you won't actually make that decision to get in and actually buy the property because you've got to step up in this market. It's going to be at a price that you didn't think you're going to have to pay. Yeah, it's a very good point then. So the the real action then, uh, what tips would you be giving buyers to help their offers be the winning one? Okay. So one, make sure the criteria that you want out of a property is clearly set up. Okay. The other side, when you're trying to make an offer that's going to be the winning one, you've got to understand the other side and the person you're dealing with. So from a sales agent's perspective, when they're putting a property on the market and, you know, there's two ways they do that. They either put a price on it or they do, don't put a price on it. They go best offers buyer or an auction campaign. They probably aren't trying to tell you the price then. then yeah. At the start of that campaign, when the market's rising so quickly, they have got 
no idea what that price will, will be at the end. At the start, they've got an idea what, it, what they think it should be based on obviously sales evidence from a month, two months ago, which is obviously old news right now. But by the time they get to the end of the process at the other end, that is gonna be substantially changed. So as a buyer, you wanna try and make your offer as simple as possible, number one. It's gotta have the least amount of conditions you possibly can have. A finance pre-approval is awesome. A cash offer where you're organized and you know what you can do is even better. And those little differences can make a massive change. Deposit is another thing that's underrated. As an investor, you may think, oh, well, you know, like in South Australia, deposit is not compulsory. There's no fixed amount that you have to have. But a 10% deposit will always look better than a $2,000 deposit. So if you're going to buy a property, you need to make that commitment and go, well, if I'm gonna be serious about this, let's make sure that I've got the biggest deposit that I could possibly put forward so it looks like my offer is as serious as possibly can be. The next thing is, is I always try and position myself to have the last conversation with the agent before they go and talk to the vendor. If there's any way, if, if they say to you, I'm gonna present offers on Tuesday night at six o'clock and I'm going to meet them, then I wanna have the conversation at 5.45, the minute before they go and see them. Because at that point, they know all of the offers they've got. They know the interest. They've got a rough idea about what price that property is gonna sell at. And if there's any chance they're gonna give you some slight hint or slight advantage, which they're not meant to do, it's gonna be at that point. And the thing you gotta remember is every agent works differently. It doesn't matter if they work in the same office or different offices, they all have some slight idiosyncrasies that they have in their process based on their experience. So you've gotta do your best to find out what they are and then be able to match and meet those idiosyncrasies to put yourself at the head of the pack. Yeah, it's uh, some absolute timeless gold there, Scott. Uh, there's some uh, really good things that a lot of people wouldn't even consider uh, mm -hmm. based on what you've just said. So uh, again, mate, I uh, really appreciate you sharing that gold and thanks again for your time on the show today. No problems, mate. Anytime and uh, have fun out there. Thank you, Scott. Uh, well, there you have it. Uh, from where I sit, if you want to stand out from the pack, secure a hotly contested property and stop missing out, engage an independent professional buyer's agent if you can to find and negotiate a property on your behalf and make sure that you're negotiating on other things that are important to both the buyer and the selling agent, not just the price. For more property insights, stay with us here on Realty Talk. Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation free quote. Welcome. Now, as Australian property continues to enjoy the highest period of growth in over 30 years, many of the limited number of properties for sale are being sold at auction with clearance rates of between 80 to 90% continuing to be well above the average. So in this light, this week, I thought we'd actually extend our recent feature on property negotiation 
to discuss the exciting adrenaline-filled world of auctions. Given that in a decided seller's market, vendors and agents are understandably turning to auctions to optimize the speed and selling price of their properties. So as a buyer, how can you improve your chance of securing a property when it's being sold by auction? Let me share with you a range of auction tips and tricks that I've collected over the years and also borrowed from some of the industry leaders in this respect. And you know what my number one tip is in relation to auctions? Don't. Don't buy under auction conditions unless you absolutely have to. I've been actively involved in property for over 35 years and I've never bought a property under the hammer at any stage. I've attended a lot of auctions and I've certainly successfully negotiated the purchase of properties immediately after an auction when the property's been passed in, but I've deliberately never bought a property at auction. On the flip side, I've certainly sold properties at auction because it stacks the odds in my favour, particularly for a good property in high demand. So why have I never bought at auction? Because the entire auction process is designed to disadvantage you as a buyer and slant the playing field totally in the seller's favour. Auctions are an emotionally charged, high-pressure public environment that's actually akin to the stress of public speaking, which is right up there in the stress yours along with death and divorce, would you believe? And this environment is totally controlled at the discretion of the auctioneer. Auctions are what I would call a David versus Goliath struggle, where you as the buyer are like David with your little slingshot, and you're up against the auctioneer giant the playing field well and truly slanted in their favour. Auctions are great for sellers, as auctions create the perfect setting to up the ante on the emotions of FOMO or fear of missing out, where all are competing with each other to win the property on the day. Auctions are also great for the selling agents because auctions often condense the selling period down to a month and it tends to flush out all of the interests of buyers and gets them to fight against each other to secure the property for the best possible, can't even say it, for the best possible price on the day. It also creates a perfect backdrop for agents to promote their business to big crowds of local buyers and neighbours in order to secure more property listings where the seller or vendor is footing the bill for all of the advertising. But the losers in all of this are the potential buyers who have to openly compete with each other in a very public setting where everything's on show and a good auctioneer will use the emotion and the FOMO to entice you and other buyers to pay a lot more than you expected. So how can you improve your odds of winning at auction? Well, let's consider this in the context of the two main stages of the auction process, which are pre-auction and auction day. Today, I'm going to focus on your pre-auction preparation, while next week, we'll dive into winning bidding strategies so you can give yourself the very best chance of winning the property on the day. So let's start with the pre-auction preparation stage. Now, a lot of these tips are a bit of a case of stating the bleeding obvious, but it's amazing how many auction buyers just don't implement them. The first tip is to attend as many auctions as you can prior to the auction where you want to purchase the actual property. And I'm talking about attending lots of them prior to the auction day, particularly with properties that are similar to yours in the same area. By doing this, you get a real sense of what's actually happening in the market 
and you'll be able to gauge how many bidders are at each property and the level of genuine interest that's being demonstrated from serious buyers. This allows you to get a much better sense of what the true pricing and market value of properties are, as the price guides that are provided by selling agents are often deliberately slanted to the low side in order to entice as many potential buyers to attend the auction, knowing that the property is likely to sell from much higher price on the day. You'll also get comfortable with the auction environment, how auctioneers perform and gain confidence in how you need to act. And make sure you attend a number of auctions with the actual auctioneer that'll be conducting proceedings on the property you're looking to buy so that you get to know how they act, their body language, their actual language and their lingo, and the strategies that they use to get the highest price. Knowledge is absolute power here. Now, in this way, you get a good feel for what the auctioneer says and their body language when the property isn't on the market, what they say when it's getting close to the reserve price, and then how they respond once the seller's reserve price has been reached and the property is then seriously up for grabs. For example, Auctioneers often try the old going once, going twice tactic early in the piece to try and create some fear that you're going to miss out. But it's not necessarily where the market price is at and it's not where the reserve price has actually been set. So get to learn the lingo and know what you're allowed to say so that you're feeling calm, comfortable and confident on the day. The other thing that you can do when you visit auctions, particularly in the vicinity of the property you want to buy, is that you can talk to the locals and the neighbours to get a better sense of what the area is like to live in, what's good and bad and ugly about the location, and or is there any future development happening that may impact on the area. This is great intel that you often can't glean from the real estate agent. So attending a lot of auctions has lots of benefits. The next auction tip is to set your property price limits well before you rock up on auction day. On top of the pricing research that you can collect from attending multiple local auctions, if you're using an investment savvy mortgage broker to assist with your finance like our know-how team, they may be able to share with you core logic data on the property that confirms when and what the property actually last sold for and what the current value estimate guide is for the property. You also need to ensure that uh, you have a full finance pre-approval in place so you know what price you are actually able to achieve and to afford, which I'll discuss in more detail in a minute. And I suggest that you set yourself three price budgets. Firstly, your dream price. If you get the property for this price, you're going to be over the moon. Secondly, the fair price, the reasonable price you think that the property is worth and actually might sell for. And lastly, and this is the important one, the buffer or the absolute walkaway price. If the price goes past this point, you're out and you're going to feel absolutely sick to the stomach if you bid. Now, I stress that you need to base these price budgets based on doing homework on what similar properties in the area have actually sold for. And you've got your finance pre-approved so you know what purchase price you can actually achieve and afford. This means that you're very clear on your position before the auction starts and before the emotion and the adrenaline kicks in and clouds your thinking when the crowd spotlight is on you as a bidder. It's also important to remember that when you set your limits, don't do it in easy to remember round numbers that others are also likely to be using. For example, if your limit's $700,000 for the property, 
then set your walkaway price at $707,000, if you can afford it, of course, or at the very least $703,000. Because often, potential bidders will get bank pre-approvals for these round number limits at, say, the $700,000 limit that I spoke about. So if you just give yourself just a little more, then you can often pip them at the post when they hit their upper limit. So never end on a round number or even number and avoid numbers that end with a zero or a five if possible, as that's where everyone else is likely to be. The third tip is to get all of your other ducks in a row prior to auction day. Now, the most obvious one is to have a full bank pre-approval at or above the expected property price level. Now, I'm not talking about the quick and dirty pre-approvals that many banks now provide where they haven't actually assessed your income and liabilities, your deposit, or done a property valuation. Quite simply, these system-generated finance pre-approvals aren't worth the paper that they're written on. And the days of talking to a bank or broker after you bought the property unconditionally under auction conditions are gone because your likelihood of getting a loan approved and settled within 30 days are now extremely slim. You need to be banking on a minimum six-week finance processing period, so you need to get a full pre-approval completed well in advance of auction day. Also, keep in mind that if you're only looking to borrow up to 80% of the property price, then you don't want to be buying the property at auction at a higher than normal premium price when you get caught up in the emotion of the day, as the bank's value may estimate the property at a lower value than what you've paid, which may push you into a much tougher and longer lender's mortgage insurance territory as far as the loan goes, or worse still, mean that you have to find the loan shortfall monies yourself from elsewhere. This is a very stressful situation to end up in, and it's not uncommon in today's rapidly rising market. And you need to be ensuring that the price you end up paying at auction is reflective of prices paid for similar properties in the area at the time. And remember, that it's worth re-emphasising that if you end up buying a property at auction, then at the fall of a hammer, your offer is totally unconditional. There's no subject to's, no calling off periods, and no escape clauses. This means that you need to get full independent building and pest inspections done prior to the auction and foot this expense regardless of whether you end up winning the property. And be careful of the sunk cost phenomenon that can often occur here. If you've sunk a considerable amount of time, energy and cost into the property prior to the auction, you're running the risk of becoming more emotionally attached to the property with the risk of going over your limits and paying too much for the property on the day. Also, make sure that you get the property contract and associated disclosures checked out by your conveyancer or solicitor prior to auction day, because if you want to change any conditions in the contract, it must be done and agreed to well before the day. You can't vary anything after the fall of a hammer. For example, as leading buyer's agent Bryce Holdaway suggests, if you're an investor wanting to use the sales agent's campaign photos to advertise the property for rental after the auction and prior to settlement, then you need the agents and their vendors' permission to do this, as technically the property's not yours until you get the keys in four weeks' time. Now, while bank approval, building and pest inspections and contract reviews and condition negotiations are obvious, it just never ceases to amaze me how many auction bidders don't take the time to get this organised prior to auction day and then suffer the consequences after the event. Remember, success at auctions is a lot about your comfort and your confidence. 
And this preparation contributes a lot to your auction day bidding performance, particularly when you're in the heat of battle and under the spotlight, when your pulse and your adrenaline are running hot. Now, the next tip is not to be overawed or scared by the auction day process itself, because as in reality, it's actually a more open and transparent process than normal private sales or the current fad of best, best of offer buy campaigns, where you're never really sure who else is interested in the property and what they're actually offering. At an auction, there's no guesswork as everything's actually fully out in the open. And you can see the whites of the eyes of both the auctioneer and all of the other bidders, which means that your winning bid is only likely to be just above the losing bidders. So in this light, embrace the open nature of auctions. And if you've done all your preparation, as I've already mentioned, then you can go in feeling completely calm and confident. Now let's talk about making pre-auction offers or making an offer on the property prior to auction. Now, this can be a potentially dangerous approach depending on when you make the offer and how much you offer. If you make an offer too early or at the wrong price, then you've declared your hand in terms of how much you're prepared to pay, or you've just provided the selling agent with the ability to precondition the seller to accept a lower price than what they may be expecting. Either way, the agent and the seller are unlikely to accept the pre-auction offer if they're confident about the interest level and what the property is actually likely to get. But if you're going to make a pre-auction offer during the usual four-week auction campaign period, they're unlikely to consider an offer in the first two weeks as it's just too early, nor the last week as it's too close to auction day. So the best time to do this may be in week three, where a knockout offer may just be enough to be taken seriously if the seller is up for a quick sale or they also don't like the high stress and anxiety of the uncertainty created on auction day. And leaving the best to last, my number one tip to maximising your chances at an auction is to engage a professional independent buyer's agent to act on your behalf, to bid and negotiate the property purchase. If you've exchanged and engaged the right buyer's agent, then they will know what the property is likely to go for. They're not emotionally attached and they're professional negotiators who have attended and bid at multiple auctions in the past. So they know how to calmly and confidently bid in a way that the auctioneer and the other competing bidders are going to know that you're a very serious contender. And often this independence not only protects yourself from allowing your emotions to get in the way and paying too much, but their very presence and the way they present the bids can often scare off the competition. And some buyer's agents offer a bid only fee. So it's no longer that expensive to have a professional negotiator on your team to level the playing field. And if you want to investigate this further, reach out to buyersbuyers.com.au who have a panel of national buyers agents plus a heap of property research that can assist you with your auction purchase. So to summarize your pre-auction preparation, firstly, attend lots of auctions for similar properties, especially with the auctioneer that'll be selling the property that you're interested in. Secondly, preset your dream price, your fair price, and your buffer walk away price budget limits, avoiding round or even numbers. Thirdly, get a full finance pre-approved with a comfortable buffer. Fourthly, complete professional independent building and pest inspections. Next, get the property contract and attachments reviewed by your conveyance or solicitor and negotiate and agree any con condition variations well in advance. 
And finally, to give yourself the absolute best chance of securing a property at or below your desired price, engage a professional independent buyer's agent to act on your behalf. This combination will ensure that you're fully prepared, that you're calm, com comfortable and confident when it comes to the, the heat of auction day. Next week, we'll dive into more great tips and tricks for the actual auction day action so that you know what to do when, once you're on stage and in the heat of battle. That's more food for thought. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance. Stay tuned for more. Well, that brings us to the close of another great show. A big thanks to our special guests, Simon Presley and Scott McFarlane. And a reminder that you can see all of our shows at realty.com.au. And while you're there, make sure that you check out one of Australia's most extensive range of properties for sale from over 7,000 agents nationally. Thanks again to realty.com.au and BMT Tax Depreciation for their ongoing support. I'm Bushy Martin from Know How Property Finance and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 